Today on Blue 58, don't look now, but it is the midway point of the 2019 season. Let's check in on how the Packers are doing by taking a look at some of the things we're doing. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for this episode at the exact midpoint of the season. Look, I know how time works. You know how time works, but still. It's a little bit weird that we are halfway through the 2018 season. It's going so fast, maybe that's because we're having so much fun. 7-1 and is a good place to be. And I've encouraged us all along the way to not get too hung up on how good or bad any particular victory might be. 7 wins is 7 wins. And they're a couple plays away from being at 8 wins. This is a pretty good spot. This is about as well as I think even the most optimistic people Could have said the Packers would be doing. One loss halfway through the season. Some tough games ahead, but they have a lot of margin for error here. And they chose to add nothing to that 7-1 team at the trade deadline. Honestly, I don't think anybody is super surprised at that. I've tried to downplay it a little bit on the podcast, perhaps not in as strong of terms as I should have. But this is not a super big surprise. Nobody should really be shocked at this. A a trade was probably a long shot anyway. And then the wide receiver market pretty much went about as dry as possible. There's not much else out there past Emmanuel Sanders and Mohamed Sanu. Uh, Bobby Anderson, Robbie Anderson, whatever his name is in, in New York, was floated as a possibility. That was somewhat intriguing, but it's a one year rental. From there, you're getting pretty down, far down the rabbit hole. You did see the name Jamal Adams get floated a little bit, and I think that's more of an intriguing possibility than a lot of people might have said. The Jets wanted a first round and then a lot more for him, which is probably a non-starter. But just say it was a first round pick. He's got a couple years left on his rookie deal. Uh, You've got the fifth year option in there. That may not be that bad of an idea to trade a first round pick for a guy like that who can add a variety of different skills to your defense. I think the Packers have a good safety group, but you can always add more. And if you're talking about adding speed to the middle of your defense, like we brought up on uh, the last episode we did, because the middle of the field is getting picked on a little bit, a safety is not a bad way to go. But the price tag, that's always the thing with with all of these trades. Getting Devontae Adams and Jay Sternberger back is good. And I've seen people float that as kind of, well, they didn't make a trade, but they are getting some people. That, of course, is not really the point of a trade, though. I I think we do have to point that out. Sure, it's great to get Devontae Adams and Jay Sternberger back, but the idea is that you have to add, you're trying to add more to your roster than you already have. And I think even with Devontae Adams and Jay Sternberger coming back to the roster or to the active roster, I think you can still make the case that the Packers could use some playmakers in their pass-catching group. That you have to, or that you are able to, get production out of your running backs in the passing game is not really the point either. I think it's been abundantly clear over the past two or three weeks that the Packers are in need of wide receivers who can regularly win one-on-one matchups. That was a consistent problem against the Chiefs, at the very least. Adding someone who can do that is not a bad thing. And I'm really skeptical of the idea that you could stunt somebody's development. If there's somebody whose development could be stunted by having another good receiver on your team, are they really worth developing in the first place? I kind of don't think so. And I'm not sure development is super 
prominent to a lot of teams' plans at this point anymore anyway. You're looking to get as much as you can out of these guys while they're on their rookie contracts. And then, unless they're a really, really good player, you're probably just going to move on. That's the reality of the NFL right now. These rookie first or these rookie contracts are so affordable that developing a guy into that second or third contract player gets to be a little bit of a problem. As good as it is to get Devontae Adams and Jay Sternberger back, we shouldn't just look at that as being a precluding factor in picking up talent. The Packers didn't decide to do anything. I'm fine with that. It's it's not a big surprise anyway. At the midpoint of this season, I would like to take a second to look at the Packers in kind of a different way. Uh, there's a couple real easy ways for us to do that. We track our own kind of custom stats at the Power Sweep and Blue 58. We've talked about that them a few times throughout the season. I figured now would be a good time to look at all of the things we're doing there and see what we're learning from these numbers that we compile on our own. I also thought it would be a good time to check in on our predictions for this season so far and see if they have, well, gone completely off the rails and what, if anything, they can tell us about what we thought this team would be like uh, at the start of the season. So we'll look at those numbers quick and then we'll look through some of the predictions we did and call it good. Let you get on with your Wednesday. These numbers, I have tried to call them advanced stats, don't really like that, called them custom stats. Let's just call them stats that we track on our own. There were three stats coming into this season that we have tracked for a couple years now, and I want to start with those because we have a little bit of a base to build on. Starting with usage rate, this is the one that we talked about pretty extensively last week that tracks how many plays are going to a particular player on the Packers offense. And in 2019, it's teaching us that the Packers are leaning way more heavily on running backs than they did last year. So far, at the midway point of the season, Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams have used more than 41% of the Packers' offensive plays as runners, as receivers, whatever. That's up from a little over 30% last year. So significant increase there. The Packers are running a lot more of their offense through their backs than they have in the recent past. Is this stat still a good one? Yes, absolutely. I think this is a useful metric and gives you an idea of how guys are doing uh, game to game as well as some of the macro trends too, like we talked about there. Um, So I think we're going to definitely keep doing this and and keep an eye on this throughout the rest of the season. By the way, should mention, want to ask two questions about each one of these numbers. What is it teaching us this season and is it still good? Because if it's not teaching us anything, maybe we should just stop tracking it and use our time towards something else. That's probably something a lot of us should ask about how we're spending our times, uh, myself included. Moving on, explosive plays. This is one of my favorite ones to track, and also it's going to be an interesting one, I think, to talk about because there are some some potential issues here. Uh, what is it teaching us in 2019? Well, I think, if anything, it's showing us how the Packers are winning. Against the Raiders, the Packers rolled up 12 explosive plays. Uh, They were moving the ball up and down the field, and they just blew the Raiders out of the water. Yep, they had a lot of trouble slowing down Derek Carr and Josh Jacobs and Darren Waller, but they were so explosive on offense, it really didn't matter. Against the Chiefs, though, the Packers managed just six explosive plays, but managed to put up 31 points anyway. What does that tell us about the Packers in that game? I think it shows that even if they're not going to be an explosive team, they can still move the ball effectively and just look at their run game as evidence of that. No explosive plays there save for one scramble, 
by Aaron Rodgers, but they were still relatively effective on the ground. Aaron Jones had a pretty high yards per carry average despite not having a run over nine yards. That puts him well out of explosive play territory. And still, they were effective. I think that just shows that they can be effective even if they're not breaking off those big chunks of yardage. Is this still a good number, though? This is where we run into some problems because I think the idea behind tracking explosive plays is good, but the definition might need some work. I didn't give you the definition at the start here because this is the bulk of what I wanted to talk about with this number. We define an explosive play as a run of 12 or more yards or a pass of 16 or more yards. Those numbers don't come out of nowhere. Those are based on definitions from a variety of NFL and college programs. Uh, Mike Sherman, back when he was the Packers coach, talked about explosive plays by those metrics. I believe Mike Holmgren did the same. Uh, The Seattle Seahawks used 12 and 16 as their metrics. Uh, The Tampa Bay Buccaneers did as recently as last season. And a wide variety of different college programs used this number too. But are those good numbers to use? I am not sure. More and more this year, I've seen people using 20 yards as the number for explosive plays. And they use that just across the board. And Bill Walsh used that approach back in the 1980s. And I think there's a lot to that because why should we grade or evaluate runs and passes differently? Isn't the goal of football just to get yards and points no matter how you can get them? If you can run the ball effectively, try to get your big plays that way. If you can do it through the air, try to do it that way. Does it really matter how you're getting those explosive plays? Isn't the effect ultimately the same? I think it probably is. So should we continue to use a number that even though NFL programs are using it may not be the best number? I'm not sure. I have to think about that a little bit more. For the balance of this season, we'll probably use 12 and 16. Going into next year, I can't say for sure, but we'll see uh, what we decide uh, for the 2020 season. But I still do like the idea of tracking explosive plays week to week and season to season. Finally, uh, for the old line stats, we got to talk about ball hawk index. This season, we're learning that the Packers are getting their hands on the ball a lot more. A lot more. Through eight games this year, the Packers have 75 ball hawks. And a ball hawk, to refresh your memory, is a pass defense, an interception, a sack, or a forced fumble. Basically, a play directly on the ball. So through eight games, the Packers have done one of those things 75 times. At the same point last year, with the same defensive coordinator and many of the same people on defense, though not entirely, the Packers had just 60 ball hawks. That is a significant jump. Is this still a good number? Well, Getting your hands on the football will always be good, so we should keep tracking this and see how the Packers are doing getting their hands on the ball. Yep, this is probably the simplest of our numbers, and we're going to keep taking a look at this one. The new stats, we've got three of these as well for 2019. Uh, First, let's talk about production ratio. This is something we've mentioned at length uh, going back a couple years on the show, but we haven't really tracked it on a game-by-game basis until this season. In 2019, from production ratio, we are learning that the Packers are getting great production from a couple pass rushers and practically nothing from everybody else. Production ratio, to refresh your memory, tracks sacks and tackles per loss, or tackles for loss, per game. Uh, You combine those two numbers, sacks and tackles per loss, or tackles for loss, and divide them uh, among the amount of games played, and you you want to get a number at or above one. So if you're a good, basically front seven player, you should be averaging one sack or tackle for for loss per game. 
In 2019, the Packers have two players, Preston and Zadarius Smith, who are well over that one sack or tackle for loss per game figure. So far this season, Zadarius Smith is blowing everybody out of the water. He has a production ratio of two, eight sacks, eight tackles for loss. Preston Smith, meanwhile, is just behind with seven sacks and six tackles for loss. His production ratio, therefore, is 1.63. Both of those are in the very good to elite range. And that's exactly what you'd hope for with the Packers shelling out some big-time money to get both of those guys. But, But the problem is almost no one else in the Packers front seven is doing anything appreciable um, in this area. And that's concerning both from a pass rush perspective and uh, from a run defense perspective. From a pass rush perspective, you'd hope more guys would be getting to the quarterback more regularly. And that's a problem if Zadarius or Preston Smith go down. Who are going? Who's going to get those sacks? From a run perspective, you'd hope more guys than just Blake Martinez and the Smiths would be getting tackles for loss, and Martinez really isn't doing it all that frequently. He has just three tackles for loss so far this year. No one else on the Packers' defense has a production ratio even approaching one, and that is a big problem. Even last year, there were people a lot closer uh, to that 1.0 figure uh, than just the top two guys on the Packers. Last year, Kyler Fackrell and Kenny Clark were the top two in production ratio. But then you had Blake Martinez at 0.94, Clay Matthews at 0.66, and then Dean Lowry at 0.5. Other than Zadarius and Preston Smith, no one is above 0.5 so far this year. Blake Martinez is sitting right on that figure. That's a big problem for the Packers defense and something we should keep an eye on for the rest of the season. Is tracking this so far worthwhile? Definitely. I think this is a, a worthwhile metric to track and we're going to keep doing it. The second new stat for this year was adjusted yards per target. This was, this kind of came out of the idea of doing something like adjusted yards per attempt, adjusted net yards per attempt, um, like you'd use with quarterbacks. I think that's a fairly reliable indicator of passing success. And I wondered if that could apply to receivers as well. I want to see the value of throwing to certain guys. And to a certain extent, it has shown us a little bit of that. Um, But I'm not sure it's really delving super deeply into what these guys are doing. Anytime you see adjusted yards per target or adjusted net yards per attempt or whatever uh, in the passing game, it's accounting for touchdowns and interceptions in addition to just things like passes thrown or targets or yards and 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 stuff like that. I'm not sure there is enough in the way of turnovers in the Packers offense as presently constructed to justify adjusting for touchdowns or interceptions. There aren't enough negative passing plays for the Packers to really track anything other than adjusted yards per target. So you start getting towards the upper end of the targets range. So Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams. And because the Packers aren't producing a lot of turnovers, Aaron Rodgers isn't throwing interceptions when he's throwing towards these guys. Their adjusted numbers are not really that different from their their traditional numbers. So I'm not really sure we're gaining a lot of knowledge here. However, there are some hilarious things. Um, one in particular, uh, for instance, the recently redu- or re- released Darius Shepard, uh, because he had just two targets on this year, on the year, 
produced just one yard and also had one of the the passes thrown his way intercepted. His adjusted yards per target figure is negative 22. He's not doing super hot, and he's doing so poorly. He's going to be off the active roster this week. Not super great. Um, At the other end of the spectrum, we also see some interesting things. For instance, the most valuable player per target this year on guys who have more than one target is Alan Lazard. He has produced 149 yards and a touchdown on just nine targets so far this year. That is an adjusted yards per target figure of 18.78, the the largest on the Packers by a fairly considerable margin. Interestingly, though, shortly behind him, uh, with an adjusted yards per target figure of just over 13.4, is Danny Vitale, who has managed 94 yards on seven targets so far this year. Should the Packers be throwing to Danny Vitale more? Yeah, probably. It's not really comparable to what anybody else is doing in the passing game, so I'm not really sure how much value this really brings to the discussion. It may just be interesting. I'm not sure this is one we're going to be back bringing back for 2020. Finally, among these new stats, I want to talk about penalties and sacks in starter snaps, P-A-S-S-S my offensive line stat for this year. What is this teaching us in 2019? Well, I'm not sure it's teaching us anything specifically about how these guys are playing, but it is helping us put some things in context. For instance, David Bakhtiari is not having, at least according to this stat, a particularly good season. As a refresher, this metric, the name of which I really do not like, um, normalizes the number of penalties and sacks a player is giving up on the offensive line to a nice round number that should be representative for what a typical offensive line starter could be expected to play in a given game. 65 snaps. So we want to average out how many penalties and sacks a Packers offensive lineman is producing Every 65 snaps he's on the field so far or throughout the season because that lets his ballpark performance across different offenses and across years when guys may be playing more snaps, maybe playing fewer snaps, you kind of get the idea. So far this year, David Bakhtiari is giving up just over one penalty or sack every 65 snaps, 1.09 is his figure. That is the worst on the Packers by a fairly wide margin. Elton Jenkins is the next closest one. He has a figure of just 0.92, and he's a rookie. Bakhtiari should be playing better. In fact, this is about the worst he's played in his relatively, well, not even relatively, very well-decorated career. He hasn't had a figure this high or higher since 2015 when he gave up six sacks and was penalized 11 times in 956 offensive snaps. His per 65 number was 1.16 that year, only a little bit worse than this season. That's concerning for the Packers, and I don't think we have a, a, a perfect answer for why that is. Bakhtiari was on the injury report earlier this season, with a back injury, and I'm not sure that's ever really cleared up, although he hasn't been on the injury report really since then. It is worth wondering why things are turning out this way for Bakhtiari, and certainly there are a number of factors going into this. 
But leading into the second question, was tracking this worthwhile? I think it definitely is because it gives us something, anything to keep an eye on for linemen. That was the entire idea of this stat. I didn't know how to really quantify what the line was doing. And if you're not going to watch every single snap of every single game and grade things out, this is about the best we can do. This or something like it. It's not perfect, but it's more than we had to talk about before. I wish I could get something like this in the run game. I'm not really sure how we'd go about doing that, but this is what we've got. So um, I would like to figure out a different name for this. P-A-S-S-S is not super, super great. Maybe we should just name it after a uh, a famous Packers offensive lineman, uh, Jerry Kramer, Chad Clifton, who who knows, Um, the Clifton corollary or something like that. I don't know. We'll figure something out. For now, we'll call it pass. Uh, David Bakhtiari, not getting a pass. Great pun. Yeah, whatever. Um, let's take a second and look at some predictions to this year. Midway point, a good time to look at this. I made, I thought it was 19. It looks like it's only 18 predictions for the 2019 season. At the very start of the year, you can check out the full article at thepowersweep.com. It's still up there. Uh, we'll probably just pull out a couple here, but I think that they, it is interesting to see how these have shaken out so far this year. For instance, I predicted the Packers record would be between 9 and 7 and 11 and 5 in 2019. That seemed pretty fair at the start of the year. Could go a little bit worse. Could go a little bit better. Still think they're going to have a winning season. They are well ahead of the pace there. Chances are they're going to be way better than 9 and 7 unless things really fall apart here in the second half. And they'll probably be better than 11 and 5 too. I'm happy to be wrong there. I also predicted that Aaron Rodgers would throw between 35 and 43 touchdowns in 2019. He's currently on pace for 32, but that has ticked up a little bit this year. One more on the offensive side of the ball. Well, let's do two more. One that I got right uh, and one that I'm probably going to get wrong, but in kind of an interesting way. First, the one I got right, I predicted that Elton Jenkins would be in the starting lineup by week five. He took over as the starting guard in week three, so we get that one right. But there is an asterisk to that one even because he got the job due to injury. The Packers were test driving him a little bit at left guard. It probably would have been in the not-too-distant future anyway after he got some burn early in the season. But uh, at any rate, he takes over for Lane Taylor there in week three. The one that I think is interesting is concerning Aaron Jones. I predicted that in Matt LaFleur's new offense, Jones would rush for more than 1,100 yards. As of the midway point of the season, Jones is on pace for 932 rushing yards. Okay, that's off the pace. He's not going to hit 1,100 yards at that rate. However, he has produced... 821 total yards from scrimmage, thanks to his 355 receiving yards this year. Way better, even I think as a more optimistic person for his uh, chances in the receiving game, than I thought he, he'd be able to, to do. That means he's on pace for more than 1,600 yards from scrimmage. So he won't necessarily get there in just rushing yards, but he's going to have a big, big-time year potentially in yards from scrimmage. Over on the defensive side, I've gotten two noteworthy predictions. Well, it looks like they're going to be wrong. One is wrong already. Uh, I predicted no Packers pass rusher would have more than eight sacks this year. 
and that is incorrect. Zadarius Smith already has eight sacks so far this year. I guess I could technically say he doesn't have more than eight sacks, but it seems like he's going to get there. He'll probably pick up one sack over the next eight games. I did not think Zadarius or Preston Smith was going to be like a premier pass rusher for the Packers. I thought they were going to pick up a few of their sacks on their own, like six or seven sacks, but also set the table for a lot of other guys. Kenny Clark, Rashawn Gary, even if he wasn't going to get a lot, I predicted five or fewer for this one, for him this year. Um, I thought it was just going to be more of a team effort, which is why I predicted that the Packers would rank no lower than third in the league in total sacks. I thought they were going to have a bunch of sacks as a team so far this year, but they really haven't. They are currently 15th in the league in total sacks, despite those great numbers from Preston and Zadarius Smith. So it looks like it's going to be wrong on both fronts this this year, but I'm not sure that's a bad thing. I'm not sure if it's, it's bad if the Packers are getting premier performances from two guys, two guys that they paid a lot of money to, by the way, while sacrificing some overall team totals. That sounds counterintuitive. Wouldn't you rather have a great team than two guys playing well individually? Maybe, but when guys are playing as well as both Zadarius and Preston Smith have, it kind of balances things out a little bit. What about you? What are some predictions that you have gotten wrong so far this year? What would you like to take me to task for, for not predicting this year? Uh, I would be interested to hear your thoughts, and you should reach out and let me know about them. Uh, find us on Facebook or on Twitter or through the contact page at thepowersweep.com. That is one of the best ways that you can support what we're doing. You could also choose to support us by leaving a rating or review in the podcast listening app of your choice. Uh, That is one of the best things you can do for us. It does help more people find the show. You can also uh, support us financially by donating donating at patreon.com slash thepowersweep a dollar per month uh, from enough of you helps offset all of our hosting costs for this site, for the podcast, and it shows you that you value what we're producing. That's just as valuable to me as any support Uh, for our hosting costs. Finally, if you want to look good while you support the show, check out our fine selection of t-shirts and sweatshirts at our store on Teespring. Click the shop link at thepowersweep.com to find your way there. As always, though, we do appreciate your feedback, your questions, your thoughts more than anything, because uh, answering those and responding to those helps further our mission of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.